This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Hey, welcome back to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm Ro Sampson Folk, as is usually the case. I guess you probably, if you're listening, you haven't heard a weekly podcast with anybody else in, I don't know, years and years. So yeah, still me. I hope that's, you know, good enough for you. I hope you're still enjoying it. But today, you know, after a very fun week in Raptorsville, Raptors Nation, Raptors basketball, whatever it is, I'm here to talk with a dear, dear friend of mine, the man who stole my Matthew McConaughey memes, the other person at the Raptors Republic Party who was beanied the full night. And by that, I mean wearing a beanie for the full duration. And uh, Louis Satsman, who does work at Raptors Republic and uh, at 538 and Minute Basketball. And it's fantastic wherever it is. How the hell are you doing, Louis? I'm so good, man. Just wearing a beanie over here, living my life happy as a clam. You're currently beanied? Always, always beanied. Always beanied. Well, it's cold season right now. It's like, I'm not bald. Well, I'm mostly bald, but it's not <laughs> for that purposes. It's really just because it's cold. Cold season. I like that. Why say winter? Just say cold season. <laughs> There's mud season, sun season, cold season, three seasons. <laughs> Very. When I did landscaping, I actually wrote and performed a poem about mud for my crew. Do you believe that? Uh, is it, I mean, I, should I not believe that? Why would you make that up? I, I don't know. Seems like something. <laughs> no, that's incredible. Do. do you still have it? Can you read it now? Oh, I don't think I, it's a, it was on my iPhone in my notes app and I haven't had that iPhone for like two years. All right. Next, next pod, you have to open with the poem. Yeah, we'll see. But anyway, the listener is probably like, Hey, I came for basketball and that's not happening right now. The Raptors. So I, I want to talk mostly about the last two games. And, and those are the wins, and those are the fun ones. So I, I want you to just take me on a little ride of what you thought of the Raptors' recent turn of success on this, on this road trip. So in my mind, there's um, games that are about one team, there's games that are about the other team, and then there's games that are about both teams. And certainly both wins, Phoenix and Denver, were at least in part about both teams because the Raptors played wonderfully. Absolutely. It was unbelievable. There's so, so much to talk about, but just, you know, it's hard to mention them without saying, yeah, those guys kind of threw the game away literally with some really needless turnovers. Uh, And you can see both Phoenix and Denver writers fans were just furious after that game, not after those games, not because of, um, Toronto's play, but because of their own performances. But how good is it to be a team that capitalizes on opponents' mistakes once again? It's been so long, right? 2019-20, I think, was the last time that teams just 
threw up all over themselves when they played their Raptors just over and over again. It's it's awesome. I love it. The um, I guess basketball equivalent of charcoal. That's you go to the hospital. <laughs> that's what they do to make you, I guess, relieve yourself in that way. So that's the thing. Is it is it them forcing turnovers? Is it them? taking advantage of it like where on the line do you sit is it is it denver and phoenix you know throwing the ball away or is it extremely well-timed blitzes and traps and you know putting length and passing lanes and just waiting for the moment well it's both i mean uh it doesn't have to be one or the other and guys who are generally good at dealing with blitzes and traps you know campaign handled those things very well for 40 minutes 45 minutes he navigated uh thickets well you know he, he used his body well kept his dribble alive he just toasted a couple full court presses throughout the game and then the last three minutes it starts working i mean it's not just the blitz is working and it's not just campaign vomiting it's you know you do this all game you it finally works sometimes scotty barnes after after just like often being in the wrong place all season has two, three games in a row, just being a defensive wunderkind. Like he just it, like teleports into passing lanes. He is seizing the ball from people when they try shooting with him in the area. It's Giannis-like stuff. Not to say that he is Giannis, but just what he does, it appears aesthetically in a similar way that Giannis's defense when you're just like, what the hell? How could he have done that? That's what he's done. And so it's been uh, a little bit of all of the above, I'd say. Do you have a favorite game between this little winning streak? I like the Denver game because Phoenix, as as good as they are, there are times when you could say kind of Pascal was the best player on the floor. You know, Booker's a great player. I love Booker. But there are games when Pascal will outplay Booker. Denver, Nikola Jokic is such a different animal. He just, he is beyond what anyone has ever played against in the game of basketball and for the Raptors to beat Jokic to, to win the minutes in clutch with Jokic on the floor is unreal something I would not have expected and so thinking about that matchup then there was somebody who was kind enough to put together the expected points per possession how, how guys have defended Nikola Jokic over the past I think two and a half three seasons and OG Ananobi, and they also did this for Joel Embiid, where on this chart, Marcus All was far and away, and I mean far and away, the best Embiid defender over the past however many years. And OG Ananobi registered as the second best player, as far as it goes, in limiting points per possession for Nikola Jokic. Now, that chart was really flawed because it doesn't factor into how much extra attention that uh, Jokic gets when... OG is on him. OG is in single coverage on Jokic above the free throw line. He's being a ball hawk. He's trying to complicate those possessions. But below the free throw line, there's a lot of attention coming his way. And passes come out of that. And the Raptors have lost to the Nuggets a lot over the past few years. And so without OG in the lineup, the Raptors start off with Precious. And over the game, he gets different looks. But I'm curious what you thought of their defensive, you know, their tactics against Jokic in that game. So... I thought Precious was manhandled. I mean, he, he just yeah. was. That's not, I thought. And the Raptors left him out to dry more than they should have. Um, but he didn't do enough to, like, he didn't buy time for the team to help him out either. 
Uh, and look, he is uh, an, a great rim protector as a helper, really good against wings and guards, but you know, he's not, he's probably not the best post defender on the team. Uh, Kem was awesome though, right? Kem was fantastic. You know, the nuance better than I do to, to, in your eyes. Um, how did you see the difference between how Kem and how precious defended Nicola? Well, it's really interesting is that I think as far as that, this is something PD Webb has, you know, kind of taught me about defense and it's mirroring versus beating to a spot and those types of things. And I think precious Achua a lot of the time is beating guys to a spot and, or catching up to a spot with his extremely quick feet. And he's very agile for his size and his strength really stands out against guys like Giannis or Luca or Jimmy Butler, these guys who famously kind of pound their way to the basket with shoulders and elbows and, you know, hard driving charges. But Jokic is a guy who will roll you to the basket, if that makes sense. It's it's similar to Scotty Barnes. Scotty is not taking, you know, eight hard dribbles and going shoulder, shoulder, shoulder. Scotty is constantly switching the planes which he operates on. Sometimes he's going sideways. Sometimes he's going backwards. Sometimes he's taking steps backwards and then coming down a different angle. And Nikola Jokic is also really good at changing the terms of engagement for post-ups constantly is that when you're posting a guy up and everybody who plays basketball or, or a girl, if you're being posted up, you know where the point of leverage is, where you want to stop their downhill momentum. And you position yourself in a way that you're like, I can stop them from getting downhill. There's different ways to do it, yes, but you have to be able to do that. But if they're constantly changing their position and there's constantly different points on their body where they're leveraging against you, it's like, holy hell, how can I keep up with this? I think Ken Birch's medal and his, I guess, time in the league really showed off in this way that he was just much, much better at keeping up with Jokic as he rolls his way down the floor. And Precious just was trying to beat him to spots, but Kem was more so reacting to what was happening with Jokic, if that makes sense. That might just sound like a bunch of garbled words, but I think that's my vision of what happened between the two. No, that's a beautiful way to put it. And like Jokic and Barnes, they're always square. No matter what plane they're attacking on, their, their hips are always square. So at any point, they could just fire up a hook if they're open. And there's nothing defenders can do if they're not constantly on balance. And, and Precious, for all of his defensive wizardry, got caught a lot where he was sort of leaning the wrong way, facing the wrong way contesting at the wrong angle whereas that's just doesn't happen with birch his hips were much more uh, honest when it came to defending Jokic. Mm -hmm. i think that's probably the biggest difference is that precious situa is using his immense defensive tools and that that is balance in some ways that is his strength that is his length and his you know second jump his pop and ability to contest but Kem Birch is a guy who's reading more of the nuances of the floor and it's more about positioning. And he's certainly not, especially as far as side, you know, side to side mobility goes for his position. He's pretty quick for a center. And the biggest problem for Kim this year has been that he hasn't been able, able to meet the strongest players with enough resistance or that he's been kind of getting worked under the basket and drop yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But in a game like this, where, you really have to be super clever in the angles you take. You have to be super clever in what you allow and the way you shade because of Jokic's passing and the amount of different angles he can shoot from. I think that Cam really shown. And I guess I kind of want to think about and talk to you about the past couple of games for Cam because he has turned a corner. 
And this, we'll talk about Precious later and the kind of duality of the Raptors center position. But I'm curious what you think is driving Kem's success as of late. Great question. I'm actually, I, I'm posting a piece on, what day is it today, Sunday? I'm posting a piece on Tuesday about Kem Birch. Um, so it's, I, I've been doing the research anyway. And I think part of it is actually a little off the court. It seems to me that he uh, was missing some confidence in his game and being able to uh, close the Phoenix game, being so successful. And he was really open with media afterwards. He said, you know, Nick continuing to start me, continuing to give me minutes means a lot. Most teams wouldn't be playing me when I'm missing every shot I take. And it's just incredible to have that trust in me that I've never really had in the NBA. Then obviously Nick benches him for the next game. But I think there's there's something to say there about confidence uh, from the team in him. And at the same time, his athleticism is returned. And so much of Birch's strength is he is actually insanely athletic for a center. He is ridiculously strong. Um, you know, he, he's quick getting to spots, like you mentioned. And you can see in that alley-oop he threw down from from, uh, from Boucher, maybe, or from Thad. Uh, he got way up there. That wasn't, a, that wasn't an easy catch for any center. That was a really nice finish. And so I think um, his, his knee seems to be bothering him less, maybe. But also his, uh, he knows where his minutes are coming from, which is consistent for the Raptors, all the way from Norman Powell to Gary Trent to Boucher to Birch. People play better when they know where their minutes are coming from. Okay, and so do you think that this is connected more so to the offensive side of the floor or the defensive one? I don't know if you can separate it like that. Um, It's a good question, but I I think maybe both. I, I think Birch is... Defense has been as disappointing as his offense has been uh, just missed push shots and like nothing else for, for four or five games there. He just, he didn't do anything on offense. He missed push shots and on defense, he just got blown by and didn't get rebounds and got beat up by big guys. And so, so both really, and they've both returned at the same time to, to sort of what you expect from him. So um, yeah, I think both. Okay. Well, it's, it just creates this, I think the, the conversation around Birch this year is quite interesting, especially when it's contrasted with Precious. And it's about two guys who, for a large part of the year, were doing things in a very different way, but kind of equalizing in terms of on-court impact with, for the first, you know, prior to, let's say, February, maybe the middle of January, if you're putting Precious on the floor, you're expecting a better defensive output, but you're expecting the offense to drag. And significantly so, and that's correlated by the numbers. And if you're putting Kem on the floor, you're expecting a lesser defensive output, but you're expecting a more seamless offensive fit, even if it's not coming with huge numbers. It's just, um, you know, a lot more harmony with how he works along with the other players. Only Precious has started to perform much better offensively in that jump shots are going in, which helps a lot. And there are some marginal improvements as far as you know how he's rolling to the basket catching on lobs and stuff like that but for the most part I think that Precious has bridged the gap on offense and while it's not completely there 
the the defense is still there for him. And so I was I was curious about like, is the dichotomy still there for those two? And can you still break it down in that way? Or has uh, this situation become much more complex? I see. Yeah, I, I think it is more complex because as you can see against a team like Denver, Birch was just better defensively. No ifs, ands, or buts. He, j- he just gave way more at the center position on defense. Um, and so I think if you want a better defensive effort, as long as Birch is healthy and performing well, uh, it could be either guy. It depends on who you're playing, right? If you're playing a team led by, as you mentioned, Doncic, or someone who's really going to just pressure the hell out of that rim off the drive, off the pass. Uh, probably you want Precious out there defensively. Whereas offensively, I think it's basically just whether Fred is in the lineup or not. Uh, if you have Fred, you want Kem because he, he sets better screens. He frees him up better. He's still a better offensive rebounder. As you said, the harmony. If you don't have Fred, you're really missing uh, offensive creation, shooting, and that's just what Precious does better. You know, he's better at attacking rotation. He, his jump shot has been good for like two months now. It's incredible. Um, and he is just going to do more with the ball than Kem does. And so a lot of it is more contextual. Whereas in the beginning of the year, completely agree with you. It's just if you want one, it's this guy. If you want the other, it's this guy. Now it's a little bit more nuanced. And so the thing I want to ask about then is when the Raptors were struggling and there was hardly anything going on offensively and Pascal Siakam is getting doubled, they're seeing tons of zone and, you know, guys won't take shots. You know, you referenced, you know, there's a few games where Kim, it's probably up to like, I would say like maybe between 15 to 18 games this year where offensive contributions have just been like non-existent from him. And a lot of those games, probably like seven or eight of them, came in this last stretch where the Raptors were struggling. And Precious Atua, although inefficiently, still came in and gave numbers by way of self-creation and a unique type of self-creation at the center position. And I'm curious what you thought of that stretch of play. And do you see that as something that you want to see grow going forward? Or do you still think that at its best, it probably belongs as like a fringe thing that he does? Because that is... That is the big difference between having Fred in the lineup or not. Oh, great question. And I mean, after that Charlotte loss, that 32 point pounding, I wrote a piece about Precious where I was like, oh, you know what? Silver lining Precious played pretty well. I remember us messaging that night being like, well, who's going to write about what Uh, I took the Precious story. And I mean, he only shot three for eight, but there were some good things. And then the very next game, 21 points in another pounding to Atlanta. But he was like, amazing and the only thing that was amazing in that whole game uh and and so great question right and i think if you're in the playoffs say you're in a playing game you know one game for all the marbles or that first round series i don't think you want precious to stretch his legs too much maybe if you could draw up the perfect box score he gets something like six or seven attempts maybe eight from the field Half of those are more from deep, right? A, a pretty, a pretty uh, uh, basic structured offensive output from him. Maybe uh, two field, you know, two two pointers in transition, 
one off of an offensive rebound and one attacking rotation, something like that. That's what you draw it up for optimal team performance. But honestly, right now, the Raptors aren't looking for optimal team performance. They want to see what Gary Trent can do with the ball. They're giving him pick and roll reps, not as many now, but they were giving him more pick and roll reps to say, you know, what happens? Let's see what happens here. They were letting OG Ananobi isolate you know, in the post when there was very little evidence that his pull-up jumper would be more efficient than, you know, five or six other options. And the same with Precious. It's nice to see him try stuff, even though it may not be the perfect way to end a possession, but the Raptors need to know what they have here. And this is the, this is the right time to find out. So you and I are on opposite sides of the aisle here. You, you, you brought up a playoff game and as like, you would want him to be more limited. And I think that a playoff game is probably the situation where everything goes sideways. And when you can scheme out, you know, the the way Kem works, if you scheme out Fred, if you scheme out Pascal, you scheme out Kem. Kem is not the author of any of his looks on offense. But for a brief moment, Precious can be the author of his own looks. He can be the author of his own success on offense, and he can do it without anybody's help. And while I understand anybody who's listening, and this is something you, myself, basically everybody who's watched the Raptors this season has expressed, Precious, please stop doing what you're doing. 14 seconds on the shot clock does not belong to you. Don't do it. Like, he'll, he'll run together two turnovers and three missed shots in a span of, like, five minutes. It can be that bad. But I also think that that is a very unique aspect of his game. And I only ever want to see it when things are very dire. But when things are dire, when the Raptors couldn't score against these zones and Precious is getting to isolate on these other bigs and he's getting, you know, let's say 0.90 points per possession on these looks, I sign off and I say that's actually a huge win given the circumstances. And I wonder what that would look like in a playoff environment because the Precious runs that happen when he comes into the game are a real thing. And sometimes they are tied to his defense. Well, a lot of the time but sometimes they're also tied to his self-creation and burst offensively, which is mostly about jump shooting, but has been in other places. And so it's not something I want to see a ton of, but I like the potential that's there, especially since he's so young. And I do wonder what it looks like in the least um, ideal situations, the least ideal context. So I love that point. And I actually don't really have a counter argument, but I do have an anecdote. I remember in the Boston series, 2019-20, uh, the lost championship that should have been for Toronto. Uh, the, the Raptors were, um, they, they tied the series 2-2, but their offense was gummy. It just, it was super stuck. Fred was getting really shut down by the team refusing to rotate. Uh, Pascal was defended in single single coverage. He wasn't forcing rotations. The 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 offense just looked uh, very strict and inflexible and limp. And I wrote a piece before Game Five because he he had sat for those two wins, Game Three and Game Four. And I wrote a piece. You know, it's time to unleash Chris Boucher because he at least will do something whether it's good or bad he will do something crazy maybe it'll force a rotation maybe it'll ungum the offense right maybe he'll stroke a three maybe something like that run in transition 
And Nick Nurse thought the same way, actually, because uh, he Boucher played the most minutes he had played in game five. He played 11 minutes. I think one of those was a, a nice long stretch, like eight minutes or something in a row. And it was terrible. He, the Raptors lost by 22. Uh, Boucher had two turnovers in 11 minutes. He shot one for five. Uh, it just, it did not work. But I think in principle, Nick and I were both probably right that the Raptors needed to try something. And so, you know what, the, the, you, you threw this crazy pitch, but you needed to try something and it was out of the strike zone. Who cares? Uh, it was good in theory. And I think I agree with you on Precious for the same type of um, practical reasons. It'll ungum whatever's gummed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's mostly it. And then obviously, that's the thing is Precious to be his ideal self to be the best player going forward in the largest percent of games, he's he doesn't need to become this incredible self-creating big or like wing adjacent big or anything like that. He needs to become a better roller. And because he'll, it's yeah. probably safe to say he won't create or generate the types of, you know, panic attacks for defenses that guys like Fred or Pascal ever do. And he's still, even though he's shooting well, he's he has one of the worst true shooting percentages in the league, despite setting the world ablaze from downtown. There's so many things he has to learn to do, but there are some unique aspects of his game that are un- yeah, unique to him on the roster. And it's not that I'm looking to mine those, but when the opportunities arise, I don't mind them looking that way is more so what I mean. But I kind of want, yeah, go ahead. No, this is a question I wanted to ask you, and, and this sets it up well. I remember years and years ago, we were talking about OG. We were talking about what the best area for his development is. You know, OG, five years down the line, what should he get best at to optimize himself as a player? Uh, I think I said post-ups, actually, for for OG and post-defense, which is interesting. But same question for Precious, and I'm turning it around on you. Where, Where do you think the best Precious lies five years down the road in what skills need to be the ones he focuses on? So the best precious lies in a rim runner, I think. And so that means that he doesn't lose the stuff he currently has and he can keep working on other stuff. But the, to be a good basketball player, you, ha- you have to pick the low-hanging fruit, the things that are accessible to you because of your gifts. And if you don't take advantage of the things that are accessible to you because of your gifts, you're leaving a bunch of stuff on the floor. This is how guys like... Jay Sean Tate come into the league as a 25-year-old rookie. P.J. Tucker, these guys, you know, nothing about them says, I will dominate the game. I will impact the game. And in P.J. Tucker's case, come and win a championship, be a part of some of the best teams of the past 10 years. It is a guy who's doing all the little things that add up to everything. Kyle Lowry also fits this. Precious Achua is a, an immensely gifted athlete, an immensely gifted player, and he's not... He's not picking all the low-hanging fruit. And a lot of fruit is low-hanging for him because of those gifts. And one of the biggest ones is that role. The best offenses in the NBA run on pick and rolls. And you know this because you've studied it. You've written about it. Raptors Republic and uh, like 538 elsewhere. But when we look at these guys who are in the middle of the floor, be it Rudy Gobert, John Collins, Clint Capella, DeAndre Ayton, whoever, these guys know their pacing. They know how to mirror the guy on ball and they know how to find soft spots. They know how to use their, their, you know, their little 
um, pound dribble, the gather, and to get to the rim, and they know how to short roll and do all this kind of stuff. They mine so many points for themselves, for their guards, by being efficient in these play types. That is where Precious Jatua doesn't lose any of his self-creation. End of shot clock possessions. He'll always have that in his bag, and he can grow it at whatever rate he wants. Fine. But the fact that he's basically a zero in the pick and roll currently, and for all intents and purposes, should be able to like get above the 50th percentile, start punching up at the 75th percentile. That is so many points. That is so much influence on an offense that's just waiting for him. And that's the thing I want to see him become best at because there are special outlier things, but who is a big that does what Precious, like if you try and extrapolate Precious's best possessions as a self-creator, you know, is that something that's tenable? I think like in, in short cases, sure. In like short spurts, fine. But I, I don't think he's going to be like this, you know, all-consuming heliocentric creator who's doing all these things. I think that would be a big ask. But I think role uh, viability is well within reach. And I think that would just completely transform how teams have to defend him, how he gets easy points. And yeah, I just think it, it would also make things really good for the guards and wings that he sets screens for. I think it would be awesome, man. So I agree with those points. He could be very good as a roller and a popper. And that's not that common. But there are, I think you might be underplaying the extent to which players do exist as centers who who do not pick that low-hanging fruit. And so one good example is Brooke Lopez. For so many years, he was an efficient two-point scorer. He scored in the post, scored in the roll. Uh, with with uh, Brooklyn, maybe I, I think New Jersey at the time. Uh, and then he went to Milwaukee and they said, no, actually Giannis is going to be the role guy and you are just going to space the floor on offense. You are going to, you're going to be a, an inefficient scorer and you're going to hit, you're going to shoot a ton of threes and make not a huge number of them, but it'll hurt when you make them. And you're going to be a defensive star. And I, there is a pathway for centers who leave that fruit on the table if there's another guy who plucks it. And Siakam, we've seen this year, has actually become not that guy yet, but shown the glimmer of being able to be a, you know, a 20 pick and roll a game guy who can really just get easy buckets as a roller. And so it's not there yet. Obviously, him saying he spaces the floor for Siakam as the roller probably doesn't optimize the team it's not likely to be his best role but i think it's possible so i i think that's like a good point in team context but when we look at i don't know the hawks which is a different team concept they run more pick and roll than the raptors for sure and that's why they do this but the collins pick and roll especially you know the drag screen in, in transition which you and i have written about and the capella pick and roll both are really good. It isn't either or. And I think that Pascal and Precious, you know, if they're playing together in however many years, and if Fred is on ball, whoever's on ball, like there's room for two different pick and roll partners. And you can, you can orient the floor or, the, you know, the framework of the offensive possession, however you want. And while I do agree, I, I'm trying to answer the, you know, the best version of Precious. But if you were asking me, like, is there a version of, is there the Brooke Lopez version of Precious? which is kind of similar to now, except he's in the corner way more than Brooke is. Brooke was typically positioned above the break. Yeah. And 
Precious right now is kind of doing that, but he's doing it. He defends a lot differently than Brooke does. And that's because of a scheme by the Raptors and B because of his physical tools and size. But right now, Precious is doing the Brooke Lopez thing in impact, let's say, because he's a huge positive defensively and now he's hitting threes. And so I think he's, he's not already there at the Brooke Lopez mold, but I think that's something he could just slump into. But if I'm trying to find the best version of Precious, the most valuable thing he can do going forward, I do think it is the rolling because I think it pairs well with so many different contexts. And I think it adds so much to his game, but that doesn't mean that I think that's his only way forward. I mean, this is a guy who's very talented and he's not, that's, that's why Malachi Flynn was able to come into these games and, you know, provide value so quickly is because he's not a negative on defense. And when you're not a negative on defense, like precious, like Malachi, the roots to, sorry, the roots to improvement, the roots to viability on an NBA court, they're far more vast. And you can see this with a guy like Jalen Noel on the Timberwolves. Um, Chris Finch obviously has reservations about his defense, whether that's deserved or not, you know, it doesn't really matter, but this is a guy who like, points per shot attempt, self-creation at the rim from mid-range, from three, is a killer, an absolute bucket getter. Jordan Poole in Golden State, a killer, an absolute bucket getter. If these guys had the type of you know defensive impact that some players on the Raptors do where it doesn't fall off the cliff, they would just be like borderline superstars, and maybe they'll get there anyway. But Malachi Flynn and Precious Achua are significantly less offensively talented than both of those players, but they can actually, well, maybe not in Jordan Poole's case, but these guys can find their way to minutes easier because the coaches don't have reservations about the defense falling apart. And so Precious has a million different routes to impact, you know, and maybe even a couple different routes to all-star impact, you know, whether he gets there or not. I think there's a few different versions of him that you could see that has that level of impact though. It's funny that you and I have been on the precious train for a long time. I think earlier than the vast majority of media. It would be interesting to have this conversation with someone who was uh, less bullish on him because we're both so high on precious. I'm not even going to, to challenge you when you say that there are versions of him that become an all-star. I think other people would disagree. I do not. I, I'm so in on him right now. Yeah, I, well... It depends if you believe the defensive impact, I think. And this is probably the most interesting conversation around Precious because you've written about it. I wrote I, what I thought was like as convincing a piece as you could possibly put together on why Precious is going to be a defensive star. And like maybe he already is. And there's some special, special clips of him playing defense. And even if you cut together lowlights of his defense, you can look at the impact and, you know, both of us watch every game. We're not missing any Raptors basketball. We're not selecting the things we like. And you and I are famously, well, not famously, you know, there's no fame in this, but you and I, <laughs> you and I do not subscribe to the party line of the Raptors. You and I have, I've, well, certainly anybody who listens to this podcast knows I've disagreed with many different things that the Raptors decide to do. I have my reservations with things that they decide to do as far as, on-court play. I have my reservations with off-court play. I don't like Precious because the Raptors traded Lowry for him and they say he's the guy. I like Precious because I watch the film and I see correlation in the numbers as well. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about. Film, numbers, correlating together. 
to make the case for Precious as this defensive monster that you and I see him as. So what is your opening statement on that? So I have some numbers for you then. Uh, NBA advanced stats, which is definitely um, skeptical sometimes uh, about, you know, at rim defensive numbers, um, but also the second spectrum uh, rate him as a top 10 rim protector in the league in terms of forcing misses. Uh, 538's Raptor, which uh, has lots wrong with it, no doubt, uh, rates him as the best defender on the Raptors, has the biggest impact. Uh, he, he also has really good numbers in terms of uh, rebounding, uh, re- snatching rebounds that are out of his zone. The numbers are wildly happy about his defense. And so, yeah, I mean, sure, he makes mistakes, right? That doesn't really matter. Everyone makes mistakes. And one mistake is one mistake. So I'd rather a guy, you know, if you're going to get eight things right, I'd rather those eight things be incredible. Like you stop a mm-hmm. sure bucket, you know, you tip away a, an alley-oop that was, was an automatic, like on defense, if you alter points per possession, there's, if you think about it statistically, right? If you're contesting a difficult shot, maybe you're changing the points per possession by 0.1, by 0.05. Like it doesn't really matter because it's extremely difficult anyway. If you are breaking up a sure thing, you're changing the points per possession by like 1.8 or sometimes two. If you're tipping away like what would be an automatic alley-oop without your superhuman athleticism. And so I don't care if he makes these, you know, crazy errors because it probably doesn't change the points per possession that, that dramatically is as opposed to an error that is a little less visible, which everyone makes, whereas his incredible defense might not be that visible either, especially compared to his, uh, especially compared to his uh, mistakes, but they really change what's happening on the floor. Uh, and, and that is what a lot of these statistics are picking up. Okay, so I kind of want to talk about rim protection. And so there are a couple elite, elite defenders. And when we think about rim protection, I think that you're talking about guys like Precious, who they're very, very impactful around the rim, not in blocks necessarily, but in making guys miss. And if you ask any basketball decision maker, would you rather have a guy who makes guys miss or would you rather have a guy who blocks shots? They are choosing the guy who makes guys miss, you know, Mitchell Robinson, Mo Bamba fifth and sixth on the blocks list this year. They have no consideration for any defensive accolades. Perhaps they will when they make guys miss more often and their positioning on defense is much better and they correlate with incredible numbers as well on that defensive end. And when we think about defense, why, what, what do you think of when you think of a rim protector? Because when I think of a rim protector, I think of a guy like Precious and whether that's correct or not is up to the listener. And when I think of a paint protector, I think of a guy like Draymond Green and Rudy Gobert, guys who their defense is so impactful that it kind of extends out past the rim and they protect the paint and they don't just affect the rim numbers, but they start to affect the short mid range and they affect volume at both of those levels too. And that's a completely different level that Precious isn't at yet. But I'm curious what you think of when you think of a rim protector. That's a great distinction. And one that I hadn't considered 
but now that I think about it a little bit, uh, Isaiah Hartenstein is a really good yeah, example yeah. of a guy who just annihilates the rim, doesn't annihilate many other areas on the court. Um, Evan Mobley, probably just a rim protector for now, but ooh, if he's not yet, he is definitely very, very soon going to be just clearing out full sides of the floor. Pascal Siakam is a good example of a guy who can impact large swaths of territory, but probably not the best rim. I mean, he, he, he is a good rim protector, but he's a better paint protector than he is a rim protector. So I like that distinction. Um, and Precious is you mentioned his strength. Guys can't knock him off his line. He is has exceptional verticality where he just, he puts his arms up, he jumps straight up and he may only be six foot nine, but you're not moving him. You're not shooting over him. And guys, we've seen it all the time in the past two games, right? In the past three games, you know, he, he was great in San Antonio. Guys go for wild reverses when he does that verticality thing. They shoot floaters. Like he, he not only changes shots, he changes the, the style of attempt that people go up for. You know, it's not just a straight layup. It's not a finger roll because he's in the area. And that is what leads to a miss. Uh, do you think he can become the style of, of Draymond Green paint protector as well? Is that, is that in his future? That's really tough because that requires just tremendous defensive feel, which Rudy Gobert doesn't get enough credit for, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And, and same, same with Draymond. But it's like this constantly stabbing at the ball, you know, coaxing guys into mistakes. And it's very, very heady defense that's being played. And you have to mix just this incredible discipline and ability to contest shots. And like, it's when you think of Rudy Gobert, it's, it's not only that the shots are changed, but the lobs are changed. And the fact that Rudy Gobert can step out on a lot of players that a lot of guys don't think he can, and that he can affect shots out to, you know, 12 feet instead of out to seven, like a lot of, you know, rim protectors or something like that. And, you know, Precious hasn't shown any ability, I think, to be that type of defender yet. Anybody can be anything, but the strong points of Precious's game currently are he makes guys miss. His contests are way better than anybody else's on the Raptors. And this is something that like, maybe there's pushback on, but by the numbers, that's true. And for my eye test, that is absolutely true. When Precious is the low man, he takes that step out in front of the rim. He changes the calculus for players at the rim. And, you know, what type of player is getting that shot? I don't really care. Rim protection to me isn't about guarding Nikola Jokic, which he didn't do as well as Ken Birch. Rim protection is the same for me, whether it's Precious showing on a screen at the level against Trey Young and then tracking Trey Young to the rim and blocking him at the rim. That is rim protection. I don't care who takes the shot because rim pressure comes from wings. It comes from guards. And in some, you know, limited cases across the NBA, it comes from a star center, but it comes from everywhere. And you have to be able to defend against all different sizes of players. And so changing shots for Luka Doncic, changing shots for Jimmy Butler, changing shots for Giannis, changing them for Trey Young, Precious Sachua changes shots for everybody. And there are some players that he may struggle with just as any defender does, but his rim protection is versatile and his jumps are versatile because... This is the thing. There are some guys who are like 
perfect athletes in perfect contexts. They get to do their two foot jump. They get to line up. They get to time it. Yes. But Precious Achua is an, an immense athlete in imperfect context. And that is why he's such a special rim protector because when he has to keep up with a player and they get to mess up his footing for his jump, he can still coordinate his body for a good vertical contest. When he's on his second jump after contesting the initial shot, he can still get up vertically and contest. When he's off balance, he isn't getting off balance into the defender. He's jumping into space to contest. Like the the versatility of his contest is really what makes him special because Yuta Watanabe, Chris Boucher have just as many highlight front of the rim blocks as Precious does, but Precious has significantly more off balance, but still incredibly impactful contests. And I don't care about blocks. I care about contests, man. And Precious, his contests, nobody even comes close on the Raptors for me. I mean, a block, you get what, like two a game if you're good? Contests, you can have 10, 12. You know, like it's just, it's so much more impactful. Uh, my high school basketball coach, Coach McGarrigal, a really good coach. McGarrigal? Uh, McGarrigal. Great name. Great, great name, great coach. He used, to, he used to always say, the guy who throws the first punch always wins the fight. And yes, he was trying to train us to fight. No, he, he wasn't. But the idea was, <laughs> if you're on defense and you're reacting, your chance of stopping a guy is much lower than if you are, like you said, stabbing at the ball. If you are cheating into lanes, cheating back, if you're active, if you are the guy making them react to you without the ball. And I think it was a really good point and the same point you're making here. And when we talk about, you know, just to sort of um, combine this with the last segment, when we talk about the best future for Achua, you know, we talked a little about his offense, but the best future for his defense, the contests are there. It is that ability to make them react to him. And you never, you know, you never know uh, how a guy will develop. I think that's something that I have a lot of trouble with. Everyone as well. NBA play, NBA general managers have a lot of trouble with. Um, but if he could add that, let's just say, I mean, then he's looking at being the piece the Raptors need, right? Like they, they, they need a lot of things to be a championship team. And if he were to add that, he would be a lot of those things on his own. Mm-hmm. The, there's still a little bit to cover as far as the precious conversation. We can still talk about the rebounding aspect of it and kind of round it out with some numbers. But before we do that, I'm going to talk to you about a little message from our friends over at Jack Health. So do you want to get to the top of your game? Jack Health at www.jack.health is an online service for men's health that handles the doctor's appointment, the prescription, and the shipping, which, by the way, is free. All you need to do is stay home and relax. They've got stuff for sexual health, daily health, hair and skin, you name it. Order what you want, fill out some questions, and get it stripped straight to you. Skip having to lay out all your medical issues in the clinic waiting room and keep your private business private. Free shipping and easy prescriptions. Boost your game and do it all from the privacy of your own home at www.jack.health. So the thing I want to talk about next, Lewis, is rebounding. And you use the term, well, actually, I'll I'll give some quick statistics first. So when Precious is on the floor, teams shoot over 3% worse overall than when he's off the floor. When he's on the floor, the Raptors 
they rebound the other team's misses better. When he's on the floor, teams score less. He is just correlated 100% with better defense in the fact that they rebound better and they defend better. They make teams miss more and they grab more of those misses. The, the most basic fundamental statistics you could find for defense without even attaching it strictly to him for his rim defending numbers, which are great. This guy, when he's on the floor, the Raptors are better at all those things. That's a huge sell. And you don't have to try and figure out and parse these things out because it's there. But you talked about him grabbing rebounds way outside of his zone. And you talked about doing eight out of 10 things. You want the eight toughest things. And that's the rebounding aspect for Precious that is so interesting because he misses box outs all the time. That oh, yeah. is that is the worst thing he does defensively outside of sometimes making the same rotation as somebody else. Like he, he screws up rotations and, and X outs, you know, not super often, but he does. And, but he grabs the hell out of rebounds and he beats guys vertically. And that's, a, that's an interesting stat that some people care about. Some people don't, but uncontested rebounds versus contested rebounds and precious is going up and grabbing some of the most difficult to grab rebounds there is. And that's an underrated part of the Raptors defensive calculus is not that oh guys have to box out. It's they need guys to grab the heavily contested ones when there's another big pressing that glass and precious is the guy who consistently provides that, you know, he is the opposing force to the big on the other side of the floor, I would say. Absolutely. Uh, interestingly, uh, he leads the team in offensive box outs, defensive box outs, Cam is ahead of him. So, uh, I, I mean, place whatever you want in, in that stat, but I think, uh, a clip the other game, geez, I think it was against San Antonio, uh, where he had this unreal contest forced to miss, uh, and then just like went out and snatched the rebound from, from someone's hands collapsed to the ground and sort of threw it out to someone else for the guard to dribble up um, really was an unreal defensive highlight. And it was one of those where the actual value of the play matched the incredibleness of the, of the highlight where, man, he is doing some things that just like he is picking the high hanging fruit on defense, on rebounding, uh, because Siakam has developed into such a good defensive rebounder, uh, it actually makes his, you know, his uh, low number of uncontested rebounds much easier to handle. You saw that a lot with the Lopez brothers, where they never got a ton of rebounds, but teams were always way, way better rebounding with them on the floor. Um, Achua might, might be approaching that as well. Uh, the box outs definitely frustrating <laughs> for sure, especially because he's not seven foot two, you know, you, you can trust a guy <laughs> who's that size to not box out less so for precious, but super encouraging nonetheless. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think we've talked about precious. We've talked about Kim, obviously more so the former, but I'm curious where you stand on you, you actually made the point that I think is the most salient one earlier on in the podcast where you talked about what's expected of Precious and why the context of him starting changes based on Fred being in the lineup. And that relates to ceiling and to floor as, as far as we know those terms in, in you know the basketball situation. And I'm curious, are you happy with how the current situation is playing out and that Kem is out there because Fred is out there? 
and they don't want to entangle all these extra, let's say, you know, the extra variance that Precious may provide offensively, especially by, you know, putting him on the floor with too many other valid and good offensive options and keeping him, I think, tied to the next thing we'll talk about, Chris Boucher. And he plays great next to Chris Boucher. They have incredible numbers together. And, I, and I'm, you know, when Fred leaves, Precious starts. And because they, they need that extra creation, let's say, or they want to maybe punch up at ceiling a little bit more often. I'm curious what you think of the starting situation. Yeah, I, I think uh, Precious is playing, and not I think, Precious is averaging more minutes than either Boucher or Birch. So it's clear that he is the guy they, they're going to have on the floor. It's not by a huge amount, but you know he's going to get his minutes more than, more than those guys. And I think Thad Young isn't going to eat Precious's minutes at this point. That's what it looks like. Um, but yeah, you know, the starting, the starting thing is multifaceted. Boucher is a really important point because they're at the point where when Achua and Boucher play together, they can expect that to be a, a successful stint. They can win those minutes. And it's a time they can say, maybe Fred gets some rest. Maybe Pascal gets some rest. Maybe both. I mean, they've been that good together. Boucher, by the way, has totally transformed himself from being just wild early in the season, really poor play, to being crit like one of the most important pieces for the Raptors and mm-hmm. just how they play the way they play. We can't talk highly enough about him. And it's not as um, unlocked next to Cambridge as it is next to Precious Achua. So I don't know, man. I, I want uh, Birch to play, and I want Achua to start. I also want Achua to play alongside Boucher. It's it's really hard to parse. Uh, I probably would need more time to, <laughs> to come up with the ideal rotation. Uh, I bet you have an answer, though. Yeah, I, I want uh, – this, this is the kind of thing that I would ask of Nick Nurse is start Precious – so that Precious gets more minutes so that Precious doesn't get stuck with 22 or 20 too often. I want Precious to be clearing, like, unless something happens specifically with the game plan of the other team, I don't see any reason why Precious wouldn't be clearing 25 basically every yeah. night. And I think starting him is the easiest way to achieve that. And I care much less about mitigating Kem's minutes than I do about mitigating Precious's. And by starting Precious, that's the position you take, I think. And then based on how some rotations shake out and, you know, some feedback you're getting as the coach, I think you make decisions accordingly. But I would like to see the vote of confidence that Kem said he enjoyed having for himself. I would like to see that given to Precious. I think that Precious not only provides the much higher ceiling, I think everybody signs on off on that collectively. The thing that different people disagree on is whether or not Precious is just flat out the better player right now. And I sit on that side of the fence. I think that oh, Precious, he is. Yeah. I think that, well, but not everybody agrees with that. Right. And I think that Precious is the better player. I think that you start the better player. And especially since Precious is the guy, as far as who contests at the rim, who unlike Pascal, isn't in a ton of foul trouble. I think that you can get away because that's a problem with a lot of young bigs that are, you know, effective on defense is like, if you play them 27 minutes a game, they're going to have six fouls and precious isn't in that grouping of players. You can actually ratchet up his you know, defensive minutes. And I 
I just want to see him get that type of vote of confidence because I think he's earned it. I don't think that it's he hard. should have. Yeah, go ahead. It's hard though. I agree with you. I, I also want him starting, but how do you rest Siakam and Van Fleet then? You have to get pretty creative with those patterns. It's easier when he's coming off the bench. In some ways I get it, but I think that you can just like the transitional lineups are huge in the NBA. And that's probably why Nick nurse isn't doing it. But I think that there's probably, you know, value to be, you know, taken away from the situation by being a little bit more adaptable in the transitional lineups you try out with Pascal or Fred or whoever, whatever mix you're looking for. And you can still get away with precious starting. If that makes sense. It does. It does. You've convinced me. I agree with precious starting. <laughs> okay. So next thing I want to talk about is Chris Boucher. And I talked about this on a reaction podcast because I am quite miffed with it. And so earlier on in the season, you and I were railing against the fan base and many of the writers for being, and even some of the broadcast for being what we thought was criminally low on Pascal Siakam, not giving him a mm-hmm. fair shake whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I think that the conversation has come around for Pascal and he, he's playing all NBA level basketball. So of course it did, but you know, the, the people didn't know how good he was or forgot how good he was. And, you know, you and I were constantly trying to remind them. Chris Boucher has done what Pascal did relative to his role without any of the fanfare. I think now Chris Boucher's stats are a little bit quieter than the run where the Raptors were, you know, they were short on guys and he, Chris Boucher was playing with the starting lineup and he was, he had a nice run of hitting threes and stuff like that. But as you said earlier, has transformed the way that his game looks to better fit this roster and the, you know, the shot diet that's been provided for him. He is an incredible offensive rebounder. He is, this is far and away the best defensive season of his career. And I, I struggle to see him as a negative defensively on the court, hardly any of the time. I think that he's largely a positive defensively a lot of these games. But since the box score stats aren't super friendly to him, people still are really low on Chris Boucher, even though I think he's probably been the most underrated bench piece on the team this year. He's been tremendous. And I, I struggle to see why Thad Young is getting prioritized over him in some of these games. Does that make sense? It does. Uh, I was very pro Thad Young. I really like right. the trade. Um, I have been uh, underwhelmed by his offense. Uh, I think he'll figure it out. You know, a lot of his, like a lot of his nifty passes have been turnovers rather than nifty little assists, which is uh, something that you, you can't expect forever. But at the same time, if you zoom out and look at it, Chris Boucher is a better player. He has been a better player for Toronto. He has outplayed him in their time together in Toronto. And so, yes, I think, uh, you know, Thad Young is going to get minutes because they just traded draft capital for him. And Nick Nurse doesn't want to make his bosses look like idiots. Uh, you know, there's politics that go on here. Thad Young is going to get minutes, probably not 20 plus minutes a game, but some. He's going to be in most games. And I don't think that should eat into Boucher's minutes. Uh, that definitely shouldn't eat into Achua's minutes. 
Um, but Boucher has taken the brunt of it, and that's frustrating to see. So this is my thing with both Precious and Kim and Boucher and Thad, is that I view Precious and Boucher as the rule that Thad and Kim should have to prove against. But it yeah. seems like it's the inverse in both cases. Yeah, it's it's interesting who has that question asked of them, right? Who says, we just, we know you're going to be great. And who says, you have to prove it first. I mean, generally, it's the older player. That's true for most coaches, and that's true for the Raptors right now. Kem's older than Precious. Thad is older than Boucher. Uh, they've been in the, in, in the NBA longer. Uh, I'm sure that their, you know, their practice habits probably appeal to the coaches. I'm sure that they do little nuanced things that appeal to the, you know, there's lots there. But if you just say overall impact, yeah, they, they should not have to be the ones proving it. They're the better players, the younger ones. So the curious thing is now we've talked, this is like the big man podcast, by the way, probably as centered around big man as we've big men, I should say, as we've ever been. And so Since I'm curious. Minute basketball, the state of the big. That Yes, that's correct. The landmark piece, by the way, state of the big um, and state of the wing as well. And I'm curious, do you have any other parting shots on big men uh, vis-a-vis Raptors? I don't know if Toronto's five, six foot nine guy lineup is a joke or if it's serious. It clearly can't work for long stretches of games. Like without Fred, without Malachi, it's just, it's just not something that is going to be successful. And yes, it worked against Denver. Uh, it's something you want to bring out as a finisher move. Uh, you know, run some bench groups into the ground is not something you want to run for 40 minutes a game. But at the same time, they have had some really visible successes with it. I just, I think it's more an answer to a political problem, which is we have all these bigs that deserve minutes that we can't play unless they all play together, rather than an answer to an on-court problem which is how do we maximize 48 minutes a game? I, I just, it is difficult for me to wrap my head around it, to understand it, uh, whether it's, you know, it, both its successes and its causes, like inputs and outputs. Uh, can, you, can you teach me about it? I, I just don't know. Yeah, I think that I probably err on the side of, and Nick Nurse, I've spoken about it many times with you, with other people, with just myself after games. I have, you know, grievances about some stylistic choices that are made, schematic choices that are made. He knows way more about basketball than me. That goes without saying, but I have grievances. I, I think there are things that I would change. But on the whole, I think that he is probably getting as many wins as possible out of this roster. And I think yeah. he found the most viable way to do that, given the roster's limitations. Now, would I build a roster like this? Do I think that Bobby and Masai are light years ahead? I don't. I Like, I really, really don't. Milwaukee tried this in 2015. And it's different players, so there's different, it, there's varying. Thon Maker. Yes. There's, there's varying degrees of su- success. But do I think that the Raptors can just forego some traditional basketball skills and say that size cures all? I don't think so. Not not in the way that it produces, you know, a championship level team. 
Do I think that at the end of third quarters, the start of fourth quarters, and in some other pockets of the game, that they have the potential to overwhelm and mystify other lineups with these, you know, the funk fest quartet that I wrote about that now has a bunch of different variations because of Fred's injury lately. It's, you know, kind of, I guess, obligated that the Raptors get even more creative, but the type of defense that they play trying to make sure that people never get to the rim. And if they do, they have a better time than against most teams because of the lack of a traditional center precious standing out as, you know, he's precious. Isn't playing 30 minutes a game. He's not changing shots for 30 minutes. And in, in some games, it does even drop off a little bit for him because he's still a young defender who, you know, the impact can change, you know, from game to game sometimes. But when we look at how they play foregoing a lot of the traditional skills in shooting, for example, and going for possession and offensive rebounds and saying that, okay, we're going to get a lot of extra possessions on offense and we're going to get a lot of steals to supplement our offense by running out. I think that these are good answers given the context of the roster, but I think that the context of the roster leaves them so limited that they have to play out of sorts to get there. So I think that the answers to what they're doing are kind of ingenious and I think they're unique and they have an identity and a culture, but I think that it's just so clear what they're missing in some games and other teams know that. And sometimes no matter what happens, that roster cannot will things into existence because of their, you know, skill limitations. If you ask Nick nurse, would you like under truth serum, would you rather have this unique, you know, strategy where you're, you're trying something new, maybe not entirely new, but you're trying something unique in the NBA for now. Or would you rather just have a couple shooters? I think he would be like, dude, just give me some shooters. Can we just play some normal basketball for once, please? By the way, I have some numbers on, on that lineup. No Fred, no Gary, no Goron, no Malachi, no Sfi, no Tremont Waters. J- just no guards. You know, everyone six foot eight, six foot nine. 98th percentile. They're, they outscore opponents by 14.7 points per 100 possessions. Yep. 100th percentile offensive rebounding. 100th percentile in defense. Crazy. Crazy. Imagine and if that lineup could shoot too. Well, that's the thing. Well, then they wouldn't be first and, you know, then they wouldn't be the best offensive rebounding team. There'd just be less of them to go around. <laughs> so, you know, our, do, what do we want to give up? And then, but that also... percentile in effective field goal percentage. That is, man. It's like, that is one of the craziest things is the Raptors gamifying the possessions thing into its own thing. And I don't know how many quotes have been had by front offices or coaches around the league that have said, this is something we're leaning into. I'm sure many behind the scenes say, yes, we're leaning into this and then just don't talk about it in the public facing stuff. But the Raptors being open and, and, you know, big, big shout out to Joe Wolfond being just, I think that's like a foundational piece that he wrote for this season. And the Raptors, like the quotes of Nick Nurse saying, yes, this is something we're trying to do is, you know, really, really creative. And you can't say that it hasn't worked, especially when you give that lineup. But like how many of those minutes come against other benches? How many of them are come in those little spurts? Are these lineups that they can, you know, the whole team does this all the time and this is how they play and they figured out basketball. Like they've hacked basketball or is it something that they pepper in and they blow up teams for a seven minute stretch and yeah. they say, we win that seven minute stretch. 
but we have to figure out normal basketball the rest of the time. Kind of like, you know, when you talked about zone, teams score well against zone, typically. Like yeah. zone, zone isn't effective over long stretches because teams figure it out. The Raptors less so over that one stretch, of course, but uh, teams figure things out. And the Raptors, by leaning so hard into this, like let's say if Fred wasn't part of this situation, they really run the risk of being figured out and rapidly. Agreed. T- totally. Um, you know, it's just not hacking basketball, like you say. And that's, I mean, if Pascal Siakam were to be an elite shooter or if Precious Achua becomes that level, like there are ways for it to also be normal basketball. It's not right now. Well, yeah, the size the size is what the, the sales pitch is, but the skills are actually what, that's what they're thinking about in the front office. Like they tell the fandom, you know, what makes sense and what's kind of visceral and what they can identify with. Like, Hey, everybody's big. They're like, I guess we're a big team, but really, really it's when you look at Donald Banton, Justin Champagny and Scotty Barnes, the three representatives of this draft class, one being an undrafted free agent, of course, that get minutes with the team. They're all like 95th percentile and above in offensive rebounding. And that's not an accident that these guys were drafted. Of course, it, it gets a bump because that's the type of style that the Raptors play, but they all can re- they all can rebound, especially Champagne coming out of college. That was like his bag. And it's not a surprise that the Raptors went for this. They're trying to find elite undervalued skills. And they didn't go for shooting because shooting is a highly, highly valued skill. So you can't get it without paying a premium via draft capital yeah. trade or whatever. So they said, you, maybe we get extra possessions. Maybe we do things here and you can get an elite offensive rebounder in the draft. In fact, with Champagne, you don't even have to get them in the draft. You can just sign them afterwards. So it's unique in that way. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's fun. I mean, look, we can talk. Uh, for a long, long time, as we have, but how this may not be ideal basketball and they're making the best of the lot they're given. But from a content perspective, I am just over. It may not be perfect for on the court, but it's perfect off the court. I would so much rather talk about something unique and creative than something that's just the same as everyone, but better even. Like this is more fun to me than a team that is winning you know, a million games and doing nothing new or unique. This, this is the interesting part. Like I, I did that podcast with Mike Prado where basically we just talked about how defense has changed and how the Raptors have been at the, if anybody listening hasn't listened to that, I think it's a really interesting listen about how the Raptors have been at the forefront of defensive innovation. And Mike is, you know, he's writing a book about it, but he's also a Wizards fan. And at the end of the podcast, he said, you know, Raptors fans are lucky. You guys have an identity and it's cool and it's unique because from the outside looking in, you just say, wow, a team that has a modicum of success and plays unlike anybody else in the league, that rules because you don't watch every game and you're not tied to the like just soul crushing pitfalls of that style of play. You know, I know Minnesota Timberwolves fans who watch every game and that is a unique team that plays unique and has a modicum of success. And from my point of view, I'm like that rules, but they also have severe reservations with the shortfalls of Chris Finch's style. And like, that's just fandom, I guess, really. Let me ask you this for you as a fan, not, not speaking for other people. 
the last two games, Denver Phoenix, would you have enjoyed those the same amount if the Raptors had just played like a normal basketball team, made more threes, and just you know gotten some stops a normal way? Would you, would it have been as fun for you if they'd won those games in that manner? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so to me, it's more fun this way. It is. Well, it's certainly it's more intriguing. It's it's way more intriguing to talk about. I mean, there's a reason this podcast is running so long, and why you and I like Precious versus Birch is a lot less interesting on a less dynamic team or a less unique team. Like it probably shakes out in a different way. Delano Banton probably has, I don't know, 12 NBA minutes on any other roster. It's that's, that's just the way it works. Scotty, how much isolation would he have traditionally gotten? Why, Why does this team post up so much? Why are they, you know, like last in assist rate, but you know, first in offensive rebounding, like the, you know, the, the meme I sent to you, the Kobe Bryant pass, just get the rebound ethos, but just as a team is hilarious. And, you know, you can talk about how it works. I had a tweet about this too, is that it's really interesting the way the Raptors chose to play this season. And because teams and fan bases are usually unified on what they want to get. Like the 76ers for years were like, we need to get a good center behind Embiid because we die when Embiid is off the floor. And if we get just even a decent center, we will win everything all the time. And the fan base knew that and the team knew that. But the Raptors fan base, the team context is so funky that, you know, I, I'd been saying prior to the trade deadline, I want a big. Many people were like, we need, you know, a wing to play the 6-9 style. And many people were like, I want a guard who can shoot. And some people were like, I want a combo who can create and shoot and do a little bit of this yeah. and a little bit of that. And it's like, this team is so confusing that there is no hard line that any group has taken. And them getting Thad Young when he wasn't on anybody's radar is as on the nose for this team as anything else. It is a, a hodgepodge of different basketball philosophies intersecting in a bunch of different places. And it's happening with dynamic and growing skill sets on the team. As you said, Precious Achua becoming a certain type of shooter, Pascal becoming a certain type of shooter changes the context away from what they even originally had thought. It's it's mind-numbing, really, but at least it's interesting, and at least they're winning. I mean, it's it's good in that case. Yeah, I mean, I just called it fun. That's yeah, you actually broke it down, <laughs> but yeah, that that's exactly right. You know, I I find all of that, everything you just described to me, that's what fun is, baby. That's what fun is. Uh, before we get out of here, actually, I have to shout out. I, I talked about Joe because this was like you know we we talked a lot about precious on this podcast, and I if I'm going by like the chronological order. I think, you know, it's tough for me because a lot of my takes are audio versus like, actually you could screenshot a take and be like, I wrote it in this article here, or I tweeted it here. So I don't know when I said it, but I think that Joe had like a very big precious is doing stuff on defense type tweet before I did. So Joe and T might even get the the precious pilled. Um, Joe blames us. He says we're the ones who. who oh, then I'll take the credit. Hell yeah, dude. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, Joe. Yes, I, I'm responsible for all your basketball wisdom. That's correct. Thank you to to me and Lewis. Uh, Lewis, is there anything you want to say before we get out of here? Nah, man. This is uh, this is this is uh, talking basketball with you is one of the delights of my life. 
Amen. Same goes for me. I got to tell you, it's, it's a pretty damn good thing. I, I hope that your life treats you well in the interim. Of course, the people won't be privy to our conversations, but, you know, I'm assuming it will. And uh, listener, I want to thank you for listening in to this extra long podcast, but extra interesting, I think, as well. Anytime Lewis and I get together to talk about basketball, we just assume that interesting things will come out. And uh, we've been told that we sound like, uh, was it Niles and Frazier discussing basketball, if that was something they were doing. I have not seen the show. I do not know if it's good, but I knew, do know that it's a pop culture reference to snooty Boston boys. So uh, thanks for being a snooty Boston boy with me, Lewis. Always a pleasure. Anytime. <laughs> okay, listener. Thanks for tuning in. Whether you got into it in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye. <laughs>